Kyle Tucker would walk into the clubhouse, take off his everyday clothes, put on the uniform of the Houston Astros, go out on the field, and in the process of those nine innings, hit the first three home runs of his career. Taking us to a lead over the athletics of six to four, three of those six are Kyle Tucker's hits. That's a power move. When you strategically position yourself with your thought processes, with your training, with your background, and everything's focused on that moment when you have a responsibility, when you have the opportunity to do something exceptional, and you step up and do it. Strategically leaving your comfort zone, finding purpose, and living that purpose. And that's why the Apostle Paul has been telling us in these last couple of chapters of the book of Ephesians to understand what it means to now know Christ, be identified with Christ, to be wearing his team uniform. Because today, in this moment, tomorrow, in some moment at school or at work or in a family, it'll be our moment to step up to the plate. It'll be our moment to make a power move that strategically positions us to win the spiritual battle, not only for our hearts and souls, but for the hearts and souls that God allows us to have influence on our children, our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors, strangers that we will meet. In the last part of chapter four, the very last thing the Apostle Paul has said to us about basically our way of life and the way we live now that we're believers in Christ was to do so in a way that identifies who we are. There was no doubt in anybody's mind last Friday night when Kyle Tucker walks up to the plate the first time, they're not going, I wonder who he plays for. They're not saying, I, I, wonder, I wonder where he's getting his paycheck. They're not saying, I, I, they're not wondering anything. It's perfectly obvious. He has dedicated himself to a way of life that makes it perfectly clear. He is a baseball player. He is an exceptional baseball player. And the highest of all callings in the Major League Baseball system, he is a Houston Astros World Series winning, World Series accomplishing again this year, baseball player for us. Sorry if you like the Texans. I guess you could move to Arlington, but I don't know. This is Astro territory. And they are a power move in our city. And Tuck is a power move on our team. But what about, what about me? That's the question I've got to ask. When I walk out my door tomorrow morning, will it be clear? Will the things that I say, will the way that I live, will, will my way of life be that power move that makes it perfectly clear? Here is a man who has given his entire life to the cause of Christ. That I am a Christian before I am anything else in this life. And that I have intentionally made the decision in faith to trust Jesus to help me move out of my comfort, to find purpose in that calling, and to live in such a way, just as we have finished singing, 
knowing that God has established his kingdom and I am a part of it. I am a resident and a citizen of that kingdom and I spend every moment eagerly awaiting my Savior from there. Is our way of life distinct? We've gone through like 15 of these in the last two weeks. We've got three more this morning. But probably the most important thing we're going to talk about as we're in chapter five of the book of Ephesians this morning is the process to maintain this. So we pick up these last three. They're real simple. Our way of life is depicted. Our way of life is identified by the wisdom we have in Christ. And by the ability to live according to the will of God and by the ability to literally inhale and be filled in our lives by the presence of God in his Holy Spirit, distinguishing us beyond any question. Because we don't simply know God, we don't simply trust God, we know him in such an intimate, faithful fashion that he lives in us and through us. Our uniform is much more than just the simple way of life we have. It is the fullness of God's character in our lives, in our actions, in our words, in our daily activities, filled with the presence of God. But first, right before we get there, two more clothing changes. Understand timely wisdom. This is a great passage of scripture in verse 15 of chapter five, Ephesians chapter five, verse 15. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, which that word literally means the conversation, which literally describes in the language of that period of history, the lifestyle of how you live, how you function, the decisions you make, the vocations that you choose, the activities that you're a part of, and everything your life has responsibility for. Pay careful attention then how you walk. Not as unwise people, but as wise. Making the most of the time, because the days are evil. Being a follower of Christ is a fully engaging decision where we trust in him and we know him and now we live with him and for him in everything we are and everything that we do. There's so many ways we can identify ourselves. There's so many things that we can latch onto and say, this is who I am. This is the person I am. This is my passions. But for a Christian, the number one way that we identify ourselves, and we spent the first four chapters studying this, is in our relationship to Jesus. That our way of life, our walk is wise because we are connected to God. It's not just simply that we've studied, even though we have. It's not simply that we have philosophized or had conversations, even though we have. It is not that we have developed a a pathway that gives us better decision-making paradigms, even though we have. It is that God lives in us and we have his wisdom and we have this moment to accomplish what he wants us to accomplish. And so it's a timely wisdom. It's for this moment. If you go through the scriptures and you read them with that thought in mind about moments, you'll see over and over and over again there's references to and there's stories of people living 
in that moment. How, how many are in here, many who have already heard over and over again, maybe when you were a child at camp and they were talking about Queen Esther and the confrontation that took place. Would Queen Esther make a power move that would save her people and glorify God or would she succumb to the culture and the pressure and make a power move that was in and of itself ineffective and unpowerful and didn't glorify God? What would she do? And she's challenged by her uncle in that moment. Maybe, maybe it's for such a time as this that God has given you this place in the kingdom, this authority, moments. Most of the, the most significant things in our life happen in moments. And God orchestrates that and, and God leads that and, and God guides that. And so we embrace the wisdom that he gives us and we embrace it for this moment. And as things get increasingly difficult in our lives, in our families, in our, in our country, in our culture, in the things that are all around us, we recognize that the worse it gets, the more appropriate it is for Christians to be the speakers and sharers of truth, making the most of the time. So he says in verse 17, there's superior direction available to us. We have an edge, so to speak. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. This could be a whole topic in and of itself, but let me just briefly catch us up on one thing that, that is clear in this passage of scripture and everything we've done up to this point in Ephesians. There is a general will of God. We study it primarily in the scriptures. We know it primarily from studying the Bible. These are things that are the will of God. It is the desire of God in our lives, but they're just as true for me as they are for any one of us. They're, they're just, they're, it's, it's the general will of God. This was reflected when Jesus taught us how to pray in Matthew chapter six. He told us to pray, your will be done, done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the general will of God. That's applicable for every single one of us. Every single one of us can be praying and can be seeking and can be understanding what is God's will in this moment. And if it's in scripture, we don't have to question it. We don't have to ask, oh, does that apply to me? Walk down through the most popular and the most well-known will of God found in the 10 commandments in Exodus chapter 20 where there's these 10 imperatives given to the people of God. This is the way you should behave. This is the way your systems should work. You should have no other God besides me. Be singular focused. Live a monogamous spiritual life in relationship to God. And we have that opportunity through Christ. That is the general will of God. When we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is God's will that everyone know him, everyone be in relationship with him, everyone have the possibility of forgiveness and the hope of eternal life through the life, death, and burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We don't have to question that. Nobody here has to say, oh, I wonder if God wants me to love him. I wonder if God wants me to obey him. That is the general will of God. But there is specific will of God, particular will of God. Jesus prayed this the night before he was executed. He prayed in Matthew chapter 26, nevertheless, 
not my will, but yours be done. That's a particular will of God. None of us will ever face that decision the way Jesus did. None of us is going to be called on to sacrifice for the purpose of forgiving population past, present, and future. That was a singular moment for Jesus. And Jesus sets an example for us. He understood, knew, and accepted and obeyed the will of God because he was in prayer talking directly to God, what do you want me to do? And came to the conclusion in that struggle, in that moment, whatever you want, that's what I want. Whatever you want to accomplish through me today, that's what I want. And even if I don't really want it, I am still willing to go there. Jesus prayed that. He had the particular will of God in his life to be the savior of the world. And he accomplished it through his death and through his resurrection. God has something he wants each and every one of us to do. God has something he wants to say to each and every one of us very specifically and very intimately and very privately, and the only way to know that is to have the conversation with him. Ask him. Whether it's in the service today or it's at lunch or it's this afternoon, before you get up tomorrow morning to do whatever task is ahead of you tomorrow morning, ask him, what do you want me to do? And it doesn't hurt to follow Jesus' example and just simply say, whatever it is, I'm, I'm willing to do it. When I understood that I was a, had become a Christian, that Christ had forgiven me, I told him, whatever you want me to do, y'all have heard this over and over again, and he told me, you're gonna be a pastor. And here I am, more decades than I care to admit or talk about at this exact moment, doing that. But... They didn't call Jason or Dustin or Roy. He didn't call them to be pastors. It's the particular will of God for us. And we only know it by being in prayer. And it never hurts to supplement that prayer with the word of God, understanding his general will, and with the collective advice and wisdom of being a part of a congregation, being a part of a church, being a part of a small group and a Bible study and friends who are godly in nature and who are approaching things from a godly perspective to help us know how to pay attention and walk as wise people, not unwise people. There's wisdom, there's the will of God, and then the most important part, there is the filling of the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 18, and don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. We have the choice and the opportunity as followers of Christ. When we trust Christ, when I simply say in my prayer, yes, Jesus, I believe you've forgiven me of my sins. Yes, Jesus, I believe you're God. Yes, Jesus, I want you to be a part of my life. In that moment, we make ourselves available for God to come live in and through us. And if you're making that decision for the first time this morning, that may be a little complex and a little hard, but that's why you've got friends here and in other places that will help walk in that. But literally, God comes to live in us and through us so that he takes control of us. 
be filled with the Spirit. In and of itself, that may seem a little complex and a little hard. How do I exactly do that? But the Apostle Paul, who is typically very practical, even though a lot of his thoughts are sometimes complicated, gives us four examples of being filled with the Spirit. And they may actually surprise you. So what's happening here language-wise is in verse 18, the commandment to not be drunk with wine, which leads to this reckless living, and the commandment to be filled with the Spirit are both imperatives. Both of these are things we are to do and obey and respond to. But he adds four present participles to follow through. In a sense, he adds bullet points to his own point. These are four things we do that enable the filling of the Holy Spirit to work. We understand this physically. If I, if I want to travel in my vehicle and it's out of gas, I have to go someplace and get it filled. If I am traveling, if I'm like Mateus and I've got an electric vehicle, you have to go someplace and get it charged. They don't function without the fuel. We don't function as Christians without the fuel. And so Paul says, hey, look, here are, here are four simple things to do to fill your life with the presence of God. In verse 19, worship in community, speaking to one another. So the commandments be filled with the Spirit. The part of simple is speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's what you've been doing this morning. You gather in community to worship God, to spend time with him so that he can move and speak in our lives. We pray as a staff team every Sunday morning. I sit out here right at this corner of, of Pine and Houston Street and sit in my car and every morning I pray, God, speak to your people today. I'm not asking him to help me preach good. I'm not asking to help have Josh lead us in the right songs and the right rhythms and the right keys. All those things are helpful. Don't, I'm not gonna be dishonest about it. It is all helpful if we do our jobs with excellence. But the most important thing that should happen in this time together on Sunday mornings, in this moment of worship, is that God is free because we're releasing ourselves and letting him fill us and move in our lives. We have this moment, we have this time together to worship, to speak to one another with the different songs and hymns, lyrics and melodies and spiritual songs that touch our hearts and touch our lives. Worship in community. We need one another. And interestingly enough, the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 10 says that as things get worse, almost like the same statement up in verse 16, because the days are evil, as things get worse, we'll need one another even more. And even though the temptation will rise and it'll become more um, popular and it'll become easier to maybe not gather in community, even in those moments, we need it even more. We need one another. We need to be able to worship God. There's a dynamic that happens when we're in community that doesn't happen any place else. I have been at this for a while. 
And I came out of a pagan background and out of a background that did disregard for Christ. Um, and I even answered and I, I created a treatise of a statement of my faith that said, I believe God is in everything. And the more I experience him primarily in my Rocky Mountain high moments, I know him. Well, that was just a bunch of garbage. I wrote that because I didn't have any other good answer for describing my spirituality. When I met Jesus, Jesus called me into community. And I will tell you, I love to hunt. I love to fish. I, I love being at the ranch. I, I love being with my buddies. I love being out there by myself. I could go on for the rest of the service. And I could tell you times when I've been out there and I've just watched the stars or times when I've been sitting by myself and just enjoying everything. But I have never felt God move. In those moments, the way I feel God move in a worship surface of his people. I know that's going to contradict a lot of what you've heard all your life and maybe what you've thought. Maybe you even did as much as I did and wrote a treatise about it. God moves when his people are worshiping him. It has nothing to do with music style. It doesn't have anything to do with anything that we think it has everything to do with. It has to do with he's just happy to have his family together. We know that. There's a different feeling when we get together with people we love. So why wouldn't God move in worship and community? Because his children are together and they're speaking to one another and they're sharing with one another and they're singing and they're worshiping him and that collectiveness of that nature allows him to move in a fresh uninhibited fashion that fills us with his spirit. We worship in community, but we do worship in person. Worship is also very private. In verse 19, the second half, he says, we are singing and we're making music with our hearts to the Lord. That's a very private aspect of it as well. I do this in a real practical way. Like many of you, I do the same things you do. I study the Bible by myself. I study the Bible to listen to God, not to know what I'm going to teach the following week. I listen to Christian music. I, I, I create playlists that help me do that, help me stay focused, help me listen to what God wants to do, allow him to convict me and work in my life. I think and I contemplate when I am alone, I spend that time many times reading scripture. That's why I am such an advocate for the YouVersion Bible app. It revolutionized scripture reading for me when I'm alone. So when I'm sitting on my deer stand, I turn off YouTube and I open the Bible app and I sit there. And I have several hours to be able to sit and read the word of God uninterrupted. By the way, that happens at no other point in my life. I would love to tell you that's what happens when I get to the office tomorrow morning. After all, I'm a pastor. After all, for the time being, until we get into our new buildings, I have a study that I can go back into and retreat and read. And I never get more than about 30 or 45 minutes before I'm interrupted. Now, just about all of my staff is in this room or on the bus with the kids going to camp. So I need to be completely transparent. It's because as soon as I hear your voices in the lobby, I get up and I go see. I'd rather be with people than by myself. And so I am my worst enemy at isolation. But when I am in a deer stand, nothing interrupts me. And so I can read the word of God. Full books at a time. 
I can pray. We worship in person as well. And then, and it just simply makes sense. This is so common sense. It's gonna feel like, oh wow, you built up to all this and it's just this. Just be grateful. God loves it when we're grateful. Verse 20, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I went through a really hard time a number of years ago. It was like eight or nine, ten years ago. And it, it became hard even to pray. Stress and different things were happening. And it, just was, it was just hard. And I made a decision as a part of my spiritual disciplines, those things that I do every day, just like batting practice, over and over and over again, I do them whether I want to or not, reading the word of God, praying, listening to Christian music, focusing my life in these ways. And I made the decision that long ago that I would begin every prayer with thanks. And it is so captivated and taken over my prayer life. You know this because you listen to me pray publicly all the time. Everything I do now, I just always started. I can be praying for some of the worst circumstances that I'm dealing with or I'm helping somebody deal with, but I will start my prayer. Father, I am thankful for whatever it is. Because I learned and I disciplined myself to remind myself there is always something to be grateful for. In the absolute worst moments, there is something. Even in the Bible, as well as in the history books of the Christian church, when people gave up their lives for the cause of Christ, they thanked God that they were honored to give their life. They're about to be beheaded. They're about to be crucified upside down. They're about to be hung. They're about to be stoned. And they pray, thank you that I have the honor to die for Jesus. Most of us won't face that decision this week. But if we get laid off this week, or if we get a bad diagnosis this week medically, or our kids do something that just totally upsets us, or our parents do something that totally upsets us, we can still find gratitude. And that opens, it opens the channels, it opens our heart for God to move in us and through us. And the last one we get to talk about a lot next week. It's a part of this one and this one. In fact, some of your Bibles, uh, if you're looking at it right now, some of them included in this paragraph, some of them cut it at verse 21, included in the next paragraph. And it's the simple statement of compliance, submitting to one another out of fear of Christ. Community is so important to God that he actually includes it in his word as one of the ways out of our relationship, our submissive relationship with one another that he can fill us with his spirit. We all need encouragement, but as much or maybe more, we all need accountability. We need people in our lives who question us, who trust us, who nurture us, and who guide us, submitting to one another out of Christ. That's why it's important to belong somewhere, not just simply visit, not just simply spectate, but to belong. I love not baseball, no offense to some of the guys, but I love Astros baseball. The closest I can come is to put on one of my shirts and sit on the front row at Minute Maid Park 
but I'm always a fan, never a player. Because that's not the specific will for my life. But the night I asked Jesus into my heart, the same as the morning or the afternoon or the night you asked Jesus into your heart, he didn't ask you to be a fan. There is in scripture no such thing as Christian fans. The moment you trust Jesus, you became a player. The question we have to ask ourselves is the same question Tucker had to ask himself last Friday night. How are we going to play? Because God's given us everything we need. Now we decide what we'll do with it. Trust Jesus. The first time when you meet him and every time and in every situation from that point on, until that Savior we're waiting for welcomes us home with him.